0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to see all of you. Is it good to be seen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to start off with, uh, if you've got a Bible or electronic device, you could open up to Luke chapter 10, um, verse 25. I'll give you just a minute. It'll be on the screen as well. And then we're going to open in prayer. So I'll just give you a minute to find it. I want to pray for our service this morning. Then I want to pray for Pastor Doug. Pastor Doug has been gone ministering this weekend, our lead pastor in Shelton, Washington. And um, he's been um, doing some prophetic ministry and then preaching the word. One service this morning, I believe. He may be right now engaged or just got done, and so we want to pray that he ends full of energy and strength and that the Lord would bless him, Um, the Lord would be with us this morning and me, that he would guide me, um, that my heart and uh, my being would be in sync with the will of God this morning, amen? Um, And then for you as hearers, that that, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, Um, that's really... Our desire. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the opportunity we can gather here this morning. Father, I thank you that we can worship you and praise you just collectively and hear the preaching of the word. Father, I pray that you would be with my heart and my mind and the words that I would say that they would be in conformity to your will, Lord God. Father, we lift up Pastor Doug as he is ministering this weekend and maybe just even completed that um, assignment, Lord, that you would bless him, that you would just strengthen and encourage him, Lord God, that the church would be lifted up there, Lord. We, we ask for that safe travels home um, today, Father. Father, for everyone, through the sound of my voice, I pray that you would encourage him and strengthen them, bless him, Lord God. You know who is here, and so, Lord, that uh, you would speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning um, and uh, be with you. Two weeks ago, we kicked off a series called The Parables, or Parables. And it's our desire uh, to go through the parables of Jesus. I'm being excited about that. Um, I hope you are. Jesus being the master communicator that he was, got right to the issue of heart and mind. Amen? And so this morning, uh, my assignment topic in one of the parables is the Good Samaritan. How many of you guys that are familiar with the text? you probably read it. You've probably heard it. I'm grateful for that. And this morning, I just want to jump right in in the time that I have allotted to talk about the idea of what Jesus was trying to convey or answer or deliver or uncover or dig right down to the issue of life. How many of you know that Jesus was famous for, as we read the scripture, uh, maybe not answering the verbal question, but answering the question of heart and mind. I like it right to the issue of life and I believe this morning that Jesus even though uh, recorded 2,000 years ago, is, these words are going to come to life this morning, I pray, in a way that will encourage you and convict you and stir you up. Amen? So Luke chapter 10, uh, starting verse 25, and we're going to read through 35, maybe 37. Um, okay, here we go. So, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But he, so that was the lawyer, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. The story of the highlight and the pinnacle of what Jesus is calling us to do to others, right? To love people and show them mercy and compassion. Let, Let me set you a little context here on the story and why it's so fascinating even in our time. So this lawyer who has been listening to Jesus as Jesus has been traveling around was thinking and set out to trap Jesus with his own words, lay a snare for him. And in the questions that he began to ask Jesus, only a couple in this recorded part, was first about how do I get into the kingdom of heaven And then secondly, a follow-up question based on what Jesus says. So Jesus so eloquently in this dialogue answers the first question saying, how do you think? What does the scripture say? And so the lawyer answers from the Shema in Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer set the trap for himself. Because Jesus says, go and do that, and you'll have eternal life. But then the attorney, the lawyer, figuring that he was going to one-up the question, asked the ultimate question, who is my neighbor? Now, I submit to you that that question out of this story is the question for us today. Who is our neighbor? In fact, As the people of God, or the reason why we gather in a church because of Jesus, because of his radical grace to us, is why we're gathered here around this room, we are assembled with a people group that you would not ordinarily hang out with. I mean, just look around. There are people from other ethnicities, other first languages, other, other, I mean, just other places, and we have... Fallen because of the grace of God here. And it's good to see all of you. You're here. Because of Jesus. And so in this question, the follow-up, who is my neighbor? Jesus takes the opportunity to give an illustration of the of the pinnacle kind. This is the, the epoch, this is the point of the message. Now, how many of you know that when you're trying to deliver the message or give an analogy or the story, if you've ever tried to relay um, an allegory or an illustration, you try to to pick the best fitting one, right? Like, man, what what am I going to say that would give this example the best way? And so Jesus, in the mastery and wisdom that he has, does that. Now, we know the story as the good Samaritan, right? Right? We know the story, and we, we, we interpret this message as, wow, this good, kind person who does the good thing, and, and true, true, but I want to set some cultural context here for you, and I want to show you why Jesus using the story of the good Samaritan is polarizing, is not popular, and how it aligned with other Parables probably was the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to people's popular view of who he was. Come on, follow me, here we go. So Jesus uses the story of the good Samaritan because Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were subhuman and their thinking about who the Samaritan is. Now, follow me here. And you're thinking, wow, why would he use that? Okay, well, let me give you some background here. So Samaritans were Jews who had settled into the northern parts of the Promised Land after Israel had subdued the Promised Land. The schism takes place, according to Jewish teaching, at the time of King Shalmaneser, the ruler of Assyria, laid siege to the northern kingdom and overthrew it. I'm just walking through a little history lesson, really important. In 722 BC, so 700 years before this story took place. And as was custom by a conquering army, many people were deported back to Assyria. So in other words, the king, the the war winner, rounded up a bunch of people from the land, took them back to their land, and then brought people from their land into the conquered land to change the culture. Are you catching what I'm saying? Okay, so this is what happened. Just, just war and kingdoms and conquering. And with that move, the king would replace, and a new culture would emerge. And eventually, over time, these two cultures, Jews in the land and the new people in the land, would begin to intermarry. It's a natural thing, right? It's like you look around and somebody's saying, oh, who are you? I'd like to meet you, right? So this is what happened. And all of a sudden, the defiling of the Jewish race began. And the Jews were prejudiced against the intermarrying that had begun to happen in that time. And how many of you know, 700 years is a long time And a people, a certain people, began to arise. In fact, Samaritans were so despised in the land that if you wanted to say something derogatory to a Jew, you would say something like this. In the heat of the moment and in the argument, the ultimate slur would be something like, you are a Samaritan and have a demon. And if you said something like that to them, it was the ultimate, like, what are you calling me? It would be like us calling any other ethnicity the words that you know out there in culture about those that are born of hatred and spite, right? So, so this, was, this was the feeling of the people of the time. So imagine the surprise when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, to use the pinnacle illustration, uses the figure central to the story who is despised in culture as the hero. In fact, it could be something like this. You know, Samaritan, we know now, I just told you that in that context, they were the despised ones. They were the outcasts. But if you run a little if you run a little thesaurus search under synonyms, you can come up with a lot of different words. And so I figured and I thought about wow, maybe it is Good Samaritan, and when you look through the scripture, you'll see that title in all of your Bibles and even in the online text. But but an accurate display of the story in the text could be something like this: the good outcast, the good untouchable. The good reprobate. The good unworthy one. Or you could rephrase it to say this. The outcast who did the good thing. The reprobate who did the right thing. The untouchable who did the thing that God wants. And all of a sudden you begin to rephrase the story and that's what Jesus did. Think about, think about the idea that, that, that the Epoch, the highlight, the, the hero of the story is the one that had always been the one prejudiced against. Now, now we're going to get into the story in some nuances, but, but think about this: Samaritan, despised one, an outcast. Even in our time today, this is relevant. If you have ever been prejudiced against, if you have ever been the recipient of an ethnic slur or a separation because of how you look or, or, or your finances or your race or culture, if you have ever been the recipient of people who did a double take at you and maybe took another step aside or culturally, have ever been the people who had been subdued and persecuted and ridiculed? Maybe you were the people who did those things. And I'm talking now. If you've ever made the thought about how you're going to divide your invitations to your party based upon, man, they're not quite up to snuff. Maybe they don't make enough money or those aren't the people I want to hang around or they don't look cool or they're not the deal. All of a sudden, we're starting to draw this line Not unlike a line had been drawn 2,000 years ago in people's minds. And Jesus, right to the heart, he he knew what this lawyer was asking. He knew that this lawyer was was wanting to, to, to barrel down on the issue, ultimately to ask, who are the people of God? That's what he was really wanting to know. He wanted to hear from his mouth, him to say, Jews, these people, You honor them. You do this thing. But instead, he shakes the narrative just like God always does. And he takes the one that had been persecuted, had been an outcast, had been the recipient of prejudice, and elevates them to the pinnacle of an exemplary behavior. Think about this. Think about the the people group in your mind that you can't bring yourself to associate with. Think about the people group in your mind that because of race, whether it's by history or growing up, there's been a divide. Think about the statuses and that you just wouldn't be caught. To, come on, I know we're full. Hello, I'm human, right? Come on. Think about the people that are so wearisome to be around, they just drain you, and so because of that, you just, you just don't, Right? And then think about those people, Jesus using them as an example of the best behavior. Wow, that cuts deep. That cuts really close too, right? Who is my neighbor? Jesus, in this story that he delivers, redefines the idea of who is our neighbor, In fact, author in the early 1900s, Pastor G.K. Chesterton said, the shock of the parable is that God expects us to love needy strangers, even foreigners, as neighbors. But if this is true, how much more does he want us to love our actual, immediate neighbors? The ones we have to put up with regularly. Sometimes it is these neighbors we find most difficult to love, We make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. The old scriptural language showed so sharp a wisdom when it spoke, not of one's duty towards humanity, but one's duty towards one's neighbor. The duty towards humanity may often take the form of some choice, which is personal or even pleasurable, but we have to love our neighbor because he is there a much more alarming reason for a much more serious operation. He is the sample of humanity which is actually given to us. Think about this. The people that God has placed right in our sphere. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but, well, Jesus answers this earlier in the book. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Whoa. Oop. Did you hate that? Wrong passcode? I want to draw out of this text in the few moments I have several points. And the first one being in the story. We see that there were some central characters to the story. We see the first one being the rabbi. We see the second one being the Levite. We see the third one being the Samaritan. And then the fourth one being the person who had been robbed. And so I want to touch really quick on all of them. So the first one being the rabbi. And I was thinking about the story and thinking about the context. And at first reading, um, you, could, you could think about how unjust, while wow, he walked by and, and, and just ignored the fellow laying in the street. And then I was thinking about, you know, in my daily life, going about how I can get so caught up in the rhythm of my own life And following a certain pattern of rules. Come on, am I the only one? Like so, so, and and this was really hit home as as I am part of the pastors here at the church, and thinking about my own response. Right, sometimes when you write a message, actually, oftentimes you write a sermon, and the first one that gets hit is like the one writing the message. It's like, oh man, the rabbi walked by the one in need. Oh Lord, if that's ever me help me right i said wait. and so i was thinking about i was thinking about the rules that were given to the rabbi to be able to do the ceremonial things and it would have made sense to be ceremonial clean not to engage with this one that was ceremonial unclean okay on first reading like first rules You know if you're going to serve in the temple and you're going to be able to do these things, here is the rules that you have to follow. Eat, dress, touch, da-da. You're just following those things. And so recognizing at first sight, glance, rules, unclean, man, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, how often we can get caught up in the rhythm of our day-to-day trying to do the good by keeping the good thing and totally missing the moment of what you've called us to do. And then I was thinking about the Levite. The Levite in Israel was a tribe uh, a tribe in, in, in Israel that were people set apart for the temple work or the ceremonial work. These were the people that names would be drawn and these were the people that at a raffle or a drawing would be called into temple service. So they lived their life according to the customs and rituals of the ceremonial and temple work and so they understood that, that whatever week I've been drawn, my family, I need to make sure I am worthy and clean to be able to, to do those. Things and so ingrained in them we're, were to be able to assess what's happening. Can I eat that? Can I touch that? How can I do this? Do I do that? And then adhere to that. Oftentimes, rules can make really good people absent compassion and mercy. Walked right on by. Walked right on by. Didn't even acknowledge. Walked right on by. And then we get to the third character. Third character being the Samaritan, the one who was the outcast, the one who was the unclean, the one who was unworthy to to even in the square and in public. You would not, if you were a Jew, you would not engage with them. You wouldn't engage with them because culturally you saw them as unclean. And so to engage with them, touch them, or be around them could make you unclean, which meant you had to go through a process for being cleansed. But but here's the thing, God in his justice and mercy, even in the Old Testament, called his people to be merciful and compassionate. And by trying to keep the rules, both the rabbi and the Levite broke the ultimate, just love your neighbor as yourself. And love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The first and greatest. And so here you got the Samaritan coming by. Assessing the situation. He's already been the outcast. He already is unclean. He already is the reprobate in culture. He has nothing to lose. By looking And having compassion. And so the scripture says that he goes, pours oil, begins to care, lifts him and puts him on his animal. Now now this is amazing because to elevate the outcast in the story, Jesus is ultimately, he's doing something here that is unthinkable. He's showing them that God came for all humanity. He came for every people group, every, every background, every ethnicity, every language and tribe. He's showing them that, that at the end of the day, care for people is near to the heart of God and that's what he's after. And so I want to draw from that how, as Christians, we're to be a people that, re- that reveal God's unconditional love to people. Th- think about this. You know, I just talked a little bit about the idea about we're a group that's many varied in this room. And we have been a people who've been at- impacted by the grace of God and all kinds of backgrounds. You've got people here that come from wholesome and healthy backgrounds. You've got people here that come from Broken backgrounds. You got people here that, that come from backgrounds of different socioeconomic statuses. People here who come from certain tribes and regions and ethnicities and skin colors. And some of those are the easy ones to distinguish. Some of those are are the easy things to try to draw lines through. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, I have come to seek and save and to heal. And that we're called to be a people of compassion, not just compassion for those in need physically, but emotionally and spiritually. You know, this is interesting. When you think about the idea of people who are the outcast to you, maybe it's not that they're laying on the road just had been robbed, and just had been injured, and, and clearly needing attention. But maybe it's in conversation with somebody, and through the conversation, you come to understand that they need hope, yeah. and you are the one who has relationship with the one named hope. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And because you see the world through how Jesus would want you to see, you see a creation that has been created to love. Amen? Like, like you see a people, and we're called to deal with that. That God would call us to be a people that loves others unconditionally. Now, this is a hard one. This is the one that's a lesson throughout all our life that we'll have to continue work through, and and myself is in that pool of working through. But the idea that God's called us to be a people to love others like he loved us, which really means to help and to love others without expecting anything in return. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the process that Samaritan person went through as he loaded the injured on his animal and went to the inn, the hotel, the motel, the the place to stay, paid the bill, and then said, well, here's what I got. I'll be back in a couple days. If there's any more fees, I will pay. Think about the idea that Jesus is illustrating in this moment about the kind of compassion and empathy he's wanting from his people, that we help with no further motivation of getting reimbursed. It's sometimes a tall order, right? Think about it. Sometimes when you step out, you feel the Lord asking you to step out to help somebody or, or you feel that tug of, of what it means to, to give a water bottle or a sack lunch or winter's coming, S- sleeping bags and sheets. I know, I know right there I just said that and some of your faces kind of got... I've even heard narratives of people describing people in need of our community about, well, they got themselves in that situation. They can get themselves out. They just need to pull their bootstraps up. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus calls us to be a people who help people put their boots on. That we would be a people that lean into the idea that I have. The Lord just said, I'm, I just wanted to give you this. Do the thing. And that's what he's asking for us, that we would be a people that lean into service and help and not expect repayment, right? I mean, It's a, it's a big order, it's a tall order. That, that we would be a people that can assist people in danger. Now, now think about the story. This was the road to Damascus. This road was well known to be a troublesome road. If you walked it alone, you were were pretty, it's best to stay in groups. Robbers were around. Danger alley. But think about this. As a people of God, some of you in this room, he's going to ask you to help people who are in danger or is dangerous to help people. There's some of you on the one spectrum that might be called to the mission field that is an unsafe place, and we know it. There are missionaries all over the world that give their life in places that you would never dream of going. That's a God call, right? That's a God call. But that happens here in our town as well. Situationally, you get called into a situation or circumstance, and you, you feel the Lord saying, pull over in that parking lot and go talk to that group and give them this thing. Or when somebody calls and says, I need help, and you pick them up, and you take them to a safe place, knowing that act might not be safe, the Lord, for some of us, is calling us to lean into the idea that radical service to the kingdom is not always safe, and it's not always comfortable, but that there are people in a place who are called by God that lean in to those kinds of things, this is... The heart of God and the Samaritan helper knew that that we would be a people that see others through God's eyes and not just through the brokenness of this world. If you've ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ, it should begin to change the narrative about how you view people out there and the people around you, because you were the one at one point who was most desperate and needy of the grace of God. In fact, the apostle Paul says, I was chief of sinners. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there I go. Like this idea that I was broken and lost, and now I'm found. And because of that, I see the world out there through the eyes of Christ, and like, oh, yeah, they look kind of wild, but God loves them. Yeah. And if you begin to recite that to yourself, it begins to change the rhythm about how you think when you look around our city, our state, our region. You begin to you begin to look around as you're driving around or in accounting people, and and yes, you acknowledge that, oh. God loves them, and all of a sudden your heart begins to churn in a different way. All of a sudden you find yourself asking questions that you wouldn't normally be asking about people that you wouldn't normally care about. Uh Uh-oh, God loves them, but that probably means that they haven't eaten in a while. God loves them. That probably means I know it's 100 degrees out. They are thirsty. God loves them. And all of a sudden, something begins to change in the narrative. You know why? Because you have been a people that have been captured by grace. Amen. And here's the ultimate thing. You, you, probably everyone in this room in one way or another resounds to the idea of being the Samaritan. The outcast who did good. Captured by Grace doing the thing God has asked you to do in the way that he's asked you to do. Not everyone here is gonna go to the mission field in places that are dangerous to you because you carry the gospel. But I'll tell you what, everyone here has been called to care for the needy and care for the poor and care for the hurt amongst you. Like this is the call of God. And this is what he was saying when he said to the lawyer, when the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? And he answers him with a story that's turned upside down to show the example of perfect care is by the person that you never ever thought would be the one that would do it. And then they go and do it. And then how they do it is the way that Jesus is asking us as his people to be the hands and feet of him. Amen? That we would be a people that as we show God's unconditional love to the world, we have compassion to those in need. And this is a repeat, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I want you to think about this, and this is where I'm I'm gonna land here. Not everyone is healthy enough to tell you how much hurt they have. Not everyone is capable of demonstrating to you how how, how spiritually depraved or in desperate need they are. Not everyone can communicate. Sometimes you can see it on the outside. And sometimes that makes it really easy to be able to try to dispense what you think the Lord is asking you to do. Here's a meal, here's water, here's a ride, here's something. But, But on the other side, sometimes it comes off as the people in your world, who you have been called, and who has the Lord put there? Just ask yourself, who am I close to? Why do I work with them? Who are the people I engage with on a regular basis, and how can I love them? Like Jesus would have me love them, amen? Like these are the people in your world, radical love, because you've been radically transformed by the grace of God, amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I I hope this morning not to bring you any sort of condemnation, but encouragement and to pull us up. Pull us up to the place as Jesus was challenging the people that he was called to at the moment to reshape and redefine what it meant to engage with people and to love people and to care for them. That's what he's calling us to be and then how to do. And so I just want to pray. I know this church is full of people who love people. I know. I know if we just gave time for stories, many of you in this room would have stories about how you have sacrificed and have given and have leaned into, and it's cost you. I I know that. Praise the Lord. But that we can be a church and a people that has an effect out there because we see and we know we've experienced the love of God and we want the world to know that too, amen?